In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us. Fill us with the power of your love and guide us with your wisdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So thank you for who made the treats. I know Connie made the lemon cake because that's her signature dish. Um, Who made the little zucchini chocolate things? Okay, I'll take credit. Um, was it Gina? Was it you? <laughs> Most of my food in my refrigerator has been there for a couple of months. So. so we're doing church architecture just kind of for fun. Um, <clears throat> so on this class, I just want to begin... Um, with the very, very ancient church. So this sounds kind of strange. In the earliest Christianity, we don't have really any architectural um, designs, and that's because for the first 300 years, we're a persecuted church. And so in the very early church, you would actually um, have met in people's homes, usually somebody who's wealthy, and the basic architectural plan would be... um, uh, homes were created with a water source uh, in the center, and that was like air conditioning. Uh, and then on one side, like where this is, would be um, some doors that would be for the uh, dining room. So early church, uh, you would baptize in the font in the courtyard, and then uh, the dining room is where the whole church would gather for the Eucharist. Does that make sense? So, oddly enough, it was in people's homes. But the church is not a building, it's a people. Um, So, I love that. Um, uh, And when there weren't persecutions, and the church had some money, they might actually buy a whole house, which we transform for public worship, and they would call those, uh, the church was a people, and where you met to pray was called, quote-unquote, eating houses because the Eucharist was celebrated there. Um, Obviously, not a lot of examples for the first 300 years, because when a persecution did break out, and you did have a church, you knew exactly where to go. (laughs) Um, But like on people's homes, I think it's kind of interesting, archaeologically, they uh, unearthed Peter's house, St. Peter's house, that was turned into a church. Um, Now, This sounds kind of strange, too. The Armenian king was the first to uh, stop the persecutions. So not Constantine, but actually this Armenian king. So from the third century on, the most ancient um, architects we have of early churches was actually Armenia. Um, And this sounds kind of strange. Um, For the first 300 years uh, of our religion, we did not want our churches to look like pagan temples. So like the Parthenon, um, we didn't want it to look like pagan temples because even though in the pagan temple sacrifice um, happened inside, people would actually gather outside. Um, So at the Parthenon, it's not like people would gather inside. Outside is where the people were. Um, So in the fourth century, when um, Constantine came on board and basically kind of true, 
uh, ended the persecutions, that's when we have architecture. Um, and so, um, so you have to think, it took three, over 300 years before we really have church architecture because of the, um, I hate computers. Um, um, uh, church architecture. But in the fourth century, we started to build churches, but they were after the Roman style. So um, this is the basilica in Pompeii. And basilicas were not places of worship, but they're really courthouses. Um, and basilica is Greek for regal or kingly. Um, and so it would be um, after um, a basilica style. Um, so early churches were um, long and rectangular with a curved apse, a curved wall at one end. Um, so uh, here's kind of an aerial view. You have kind of this main aisle, um, sorry, main aisle, and then uh, there'd be a curved wall here. And it was a courthouse. Um, and the judge would sit on the curved wall side uh, because the sound would be better on that side. So if you go to like Holy Apostles, my previous parish, we have an apsed curved wall. Um, I, I love that. Also because this sounds strange. If you remember from Neolithic times, like that Malta um, huge temple that was found underground, they had a curved wall. In the ancient caves um, or Newgrange, in these Neolithic sites, they had a curved wall. So when you entered a basilica, your eye immediately went down to where the curved apse would be. So you're, what the heck is that? I have no idea what that was. I don't. Um, so here's the remains of Pompeii. But um, this is a this is a uh, um, apse. So this is a, a basilica style. Um, so and the basilicas were always orientated east to west. Um, so when you attended mass, the sunlight would be come through the windows and hit the altar. Um, so you would. Uh, experience Christ both um, in the form of the Eucharist and light hitting the altar. And I like that because uh, early picks, you know, picks are what carried the host. In the ancient church, when you had a pix, this round gold thing that would hold the Eucharist when you delivered communion, they'd write in Greek, because it works in Greek, light and life. Um, and so the basilica architecturally, um, you could see where the presider and the altar would be, would be right here. Um, I love that. Um, and the tabernacle would be behind it, so um, it all kind of lines up. I like that. Um, in modern evangelical churches, think about this, the uh, sanctuary is a stage that really just highlights the presider and the band. Um, and so I think that's kind of strange. But I love the rectangular apse. Um, and at first it was civic, but uh, so that's a curved wall apse. This is Santa Sabina in Rome. Um, once again, I, I know I'm kind of weird. I love an apse, not the snake, the curved wall. Um, so when I say basilica style, is that kind of clear what it means? 
Um, so, um, um, let's see. One of these is St. Paul outside the wall. That's not a good picture. But um, uh, anyhow, so I love an apse, but um, like this one is in, uh, I think this one's in Croatia, and this one would have been what churches looked like in the 500s. It's one of this ancient church from the 500s, but notice they have a courtyard. Um, I do like that in a church where you would have a courtyard outside so the community could gather in the courtyard and then when you walked into church, there could be more silence and focused attention. So I personally think every church should have some sort of vestibule or courtyard where after mass the community can gather and discuss, um, but uh, some sort of sound barrier in between. We don't have that here. But once again, I like the basilica style uh, with a curved wall because it creates um, direction, you know, um, directionality, vertical, and yet communal, communal. So I love a basilica style. Um, so when I say basilica style, these are all basilica styles. But they also, what they would do is uh, put mosaics and jewels in the wall. Now remember last time I spoke about the temple having um, jeweled walls of the Garden of Eden? Well, uh, early Christians did the same thing. So the Romans would decorate basilica floors with mosaics of animals and stories. But early Christians were uncomfortable about putting mosaics in the floor because you know, you're not, really don't want to walk on the image of Christ or the saints. So they put it on the walls. Um, and so the walls, the building would be your teacher telling a story. So there'd be the mosaics on the side, um, and they would put Old Testament saints, uh, Christian saints, angels. Um, oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. To, I thought I had more mosaics. Um, but I love the fact that the walls would teach you. Um, now, uh, Roman history of arches were always tied to victories. So I do like in the uh, basilica style, there's always these arches, usually an arch over the altar, symbolizing victory. Um, now, a basilica uh, is just a square, but then, um, maybe I have it back here. Um, no, don't. Um, uh, what they... What they then developed is basilica with transepts. So this is gonna, I'm gonna move into the Romanesque style. This is my favorite. Um, by the end of the whole series here, I want you to be of my opinion that um, this is the best style. Um, but, so this is a Romanesque, and notice how they turn the rectangle into a cross. So from above, I just think it's beautiful. From above, the church is literally in the shape of a cross. Love that style. Um, they'd have some double colonnades so you can walk all around the church in this pilgrimage. Um, and you'd have side aisles. So um, there's that kind of a systemized plan to it. Um, some basilicas were in the round. I won't deny that. Um, some were in the round. It does work, but... I like the Romanesque style, um, where you enter through the feet of Christ and the head is where the tabernacle would be and the heart is where the altar would be. I just think that's perfect. Um, you do have the round styles, but um, 
Not a big fan of round. Um, oh, why am I in the Vikings? Oh. Okay, so, so that's the 5th century Romanesque, um, well, we're still in the Romanesque style, but Basilica. Now, what happened is that in the 6th and 7th and 8th century, we really have very few uh, remains of churches because of these people. The collapse of the Roman Empire with all these hordes, and then um, the Roman Empire collapsed, there's this constant war, lack of education, so architecture kind of remains dead in this time period, and churches would have been these wooden structures. Um, now, a parish church would rarely be a basilica style, especially during the Dark Ages, because everybody was poor. So they would have been wood structures, dirt floors, but with the rise of Charlemagne, um, his, and he basically conquers Europe, um, there is this momentary peace. Unfortunately, after his death, there was all this infighting. Um, and so great architecture just becomes a stall. In the 19th century, these horrible people called the Vikings and the Hungarians, um, they also kind of stopped any great development because of the constant attacks. And so um, monasteries and churches were forced to... Oh, another example of Vikings who are ruining the world. Um, but... Um, uh, so monasteries were forced to erect these defensive walls. Um, so anyhow, if you do know any Vikings, thank them for keeping us in the Dark Ages. Um, but with Otto II, um, Otto I was uh, resurrected as a, as a Roman Empire, and there's this period of peace, and he married this Byzantine princess, and so this large building structure started. Um, and so um, this should be uh, St. Michael's. Um, and so these are called the, uh, his name was Otto, the king, so Ottoan uh, churches. So the Romanesque style comes back into um, uh, style. Now, honest to God, do you not find that stunningly beautiful, or is it just me? It's just me, really? Um, but think. And really, this is from the 600s? Like, uh, it, it's amazing. I, I just think it's absolutely beautiful. And so, really, just these Romanesque buildings, I find stunningly beautiful. Now, Romanesque does not mean they date back to the Roman Empire. Romanesque means Roman-like. Um, and so, when civilization, after the Dark Ages, start to rebuild, they look back to the last great age which the last great age was the Roman Empire. So um, Romanesque is not classical Roman structure. It's actually, um, it's a collection of styles that look back to Rome. And so the common Romanesque features are um, a basilica form, uh, typically um, in a shape of a cross. Um, once again, that's Romanesque. But also notice, when I say Romanesque, the second characteristic is heavy stone, thick columns and thick walls. And they needed thick columns and thick walls because just to support the roof. So, um, and also, notice Romanesque it does tend to be dark inside because they have little tiny windows. And the little tiny windows are always round. 
So I'll give you a hint. If it's a rounded window, it's Romanesque. If it's pointed, and we're going to get to that next class, it's Gothic. Pointed, it sounds strange, a pointed arch was a great invention. <laughs> but you, you have to have um, these thick walls, so you need more candlelight and little tiny windows. Um, now, I still find it beautiful. Notice the thick, thick columns. You're not going to find that in Gothic. Gothic has thin, tiny little columns. Um, but see, I kind of like it dark, so you have more candlelight. And there's this kind of whole theology of darkness. So Romanesque is associated with kind of dark churches, um, but I love the thick, heavy stones. Um, these are all Romanesque. Um, uh, anyhow, um, so to me, darkness is kind of nice because if you're a poet, you have to kind of go into some darkness to really in, um, uh, think about things. So the Romanesque um, has to be appreciated, but also has kind of this um, sense of silence and echo, but also darkness. Um, so because of the darkness, there's a greater interplay between shafts of light and darkness. Uh, but once again, Romanesque, you can see little tiny windows that just light up in the darkness. But once again, um, rounded uh, windows, heavy, thick columns. Um, I just like it because it uh, speaks of, I don't know, something stable. Um, uh, okay, arches, as I said, rounded arches that they made beautiful. This one's in England. Um, oh, St. Nicolo, I love this church. It's Romanesque again. Um, I'll tell you a story about this church. If you're wondering why Santa Claus is here, because Santa Claus is here. Um, and this is a church in Italy, uh, the Calabresi, uh, um, what's Calabresi? Um, Calabrian, um, part of Italy. At this time period, the Islam is invading um, Constantinople and Turkey and um, when they take over, they destroy churches, uh, desecrate the graves of the saints. And so I love this. The Italians, Calabrians, they, they know St. Nicholas is going to be destroyed. So they go over to Turkey, grab his body, and take it back to Italy and build this uh, um, basilica church uh, for Santa Claus. So... Do you not find that kind of funny? They stole Santa Claus's body. The Italian stole his body. Um, and thank God they did. But uh, so this is St. Nicholas's church. Um, and they built this beautiful church. Um, uh, so anyhow, um, now, uh, often the stone will have relief. So there's beautiful stonework, often towers, curved windows, um, art, row, uh, curved arches. Doors are going to be thick as well. Um, here's another example. You can easily tell this is Romanesque. Curved walls, big, thick, heavy. Um, love this one too. Um, curved walls, big, thick. Does that make sense? You can just tell. Uh, usually they're in a cross shape. Another one, absolutely beautiful. I know they're tiny windows, but they create these shafts of light that I just love. Um, so, if 
we were on a tour and he said, what kind of style of church is that? Romanesque. Little tiny windows, big thick um, 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 uh, stone. Um, anyhow, uh, I do like, um, so Romanesque, I, I don't know why, I just love the heavy stone. I think it's where heaven and earth meet. Um, this is, a, should be said, oh, no, this is a Durham Cathedral. Um, let's see, oh, I went past this. Um, some of these were French style. But, so you have French style Romanesque and Romanesque. Um, um, this is St. Cuthbert. <laughs> um, the walls would have been painted um, red and, uh, when you look at it, they would have been painted red and green just to mimic uh, the Celtic manuscripts. Notice, um, like, I love those huge columns, all of them painted differently. Um, so, um, so St. Cuthbert was uh, built after the Norman invasion. Um, so notice the columns are all different. So I just find that incredibly beautiful. Um, uh, those are longins, chevron, fluted, uh, different styles of columns. But once again, big and thick and heavy. Um, so this, I think, is kind of interesting. Uh, this was a mosque in Cordoba, and they mimic it, mimicked it in the wall. So the same way this was a mosque, they made this in St. Cuthbert, and they made it match the Celtic... Um, manuscripts, you'll see that it's picking up the walls in St. Cuthbert. Um, let's see. So, um, this is a French style of Romanesque. So, um, and you get a lot of relief work now. So, not only thick uh, um, walls, but then they started to make this relief work. So, this is, these are not columns. These are just relief works, um, stone that's carved. Um, so, like, Notre Dame has that as well. It was very popular, started among the French. Um, it's got, uh, well, Notre Dame is Gothic, but notice there's Christ in the center, because when you're walking through the doors, you're walking through Christ. So, um, and then you have angels to the right, saints to the other side, Peter is welcoming you into heaven. Um, love that. So uh, the damned in some of these relief are here. They're going to hell. They're chained up. Um, and then you also have the saints going into heaven. Uh, that one was modeled after me. Um, so I just... Uh, so Benedictine monasteries were popular to having last judgments uh, also scenes. But... I just think it's stunningly beautiful. St. John on one side, St. Peter on another, uh, all these relief works. Um, uh, the reason why the Benedictine uh, had a lot of last judgment scenes is because St. Benedict said you should always keep the judgment of God before your eyes. So last judgment scene, um, but a lot of beautiful relief work. Um, last judgment scene, uh, the tetramorphs, but once again, it's a column, 
but it's more than a column. It's all the saints. Like, it's so stylized. I, I love how you, you see what you're entering. Um, so, just absolutely beautiful. Um, oh, okay. Um, anyhow, sorry, I went a little too far. Um, but, like, we're going to get new church doors, got to tell you that. And not really quite 100% sure what they're going to look like. But church doors should not just be functional doors. They should tell you, I'm entering Christ. So, like, I like church doors that have either an image of Christ on it or a cross. Because that's what you're entering. I love a church that's designed like a cross because that's what you're entering. Um, the architecture should tell you some theology. It shouldn't just be a building for a sake of building. The building should describe. Um, so in charts, there's all these um, uh, uh, mosaics. And the mosaics are a way of teaching people. And you put jewels in them. Um, so um, that's going to be next. Um, I think I, I went a little too quick over that. But um, that's Romanesque. Um, um, now... This is, okay, so I'm just going to stop here. Um, um, does that, I know it's a quick class on Romanesque architecture, but does that describe what I mean by Romanesque architecture? Um, Gothic is going to be the opposite of this. And I also like Gothic, it's my second favorite, um, but Gothic is going to be light and thin columns. This is going to be thick. But I like something that is thick because it kind of just, um, I, I don't know, I, I like a heaviness to the church. Does that make any sense? I like, um, uh, that's just me. So this, I got to tell you what this is. Anybody know what this is? Oh, good job. It is a mosque. But um, What's that? Um, so... This sounds kind of strange. Romanesque would have been popular in the West. But also remember, there were equally as many Christians, or more so, in the East. Eastern churches, they preferred more the uh, uh, basilica style that was in more round. It was really square with a round dome. So um, this actually is Hagia Sophia. Um, it was built quite early, um, and then why it looks like a mosque is because later, in the Middle Ages, when um, the Islam uh, invaded Constantinople and changed it to Istanbul, um, they overtook Hagia Sophia and turned it into a mosque. Does that make sense? So technically, it was at first a Catholic church. Now, if you've ever if have anybody been to Hagia Sophia besides me? It is really, for its time period, it would have been the stunning architect of the world. If you, went, if you go to Turkey, if you've ever been to Istanbul, you have to go there. So, um, oh, I have to increase this. Um, it, it was the most beautiful building at some time. Now, obviously, the... Muslims put that up, but um, this was a very ancient Catholic church. Um, uh, oh, I didn't want to do that. Um, but now, 
oddly enough, now it's just a museum so you can go there, but Turkey is thinking about turning it back into a mosque, um, which I find upsetting because it really was a Catholic church first. So um, just have to say, if I was to build a church, I would want it kind of with a heavy stone and um, a crucifix, you know, shape of a cross. Does that make sense? So, um, I also love columns, but I love columns like um, we're in this debate, and I'll tell you what the debate is, um, and I'll tell you what the right answer is. Um, so, we only have two columns, really, in our church. And did you ever notice that those two red brick um, walls by the entrance? Like, it kind of drives me up a wall because um, why do you have two red... I know the outside of the church is... But inside, you, we have white, and now you have those two brick walls that serve no purpose. But think about this. In the Romanesque, a column, you just didn't make a column. You made a column that was with relief and saints, and so it gave an education. I think just having a brick wall for a brick wall sake makes no sense whatsoever. So, um, like, I'm going to put... Um, did you notice the holy water fonts? Um, well, so, like, I... I and I told you this class is going to be a lot of my opinions. We had these little tiny dishes around the corner so you couldn't even notice them. And then they were against the red brick and then you'd have to know or bump into them to see them. So I want to put icons of Christ on that red brick. But I don't like the red brick. It doesn't say anything. So I want to paint the brick white. But the problem is when you paint brick white, it rarely turns out white. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it turns it kind of a... Oh, so I, we could do that, but it's the debate is, well, they won't turn out white. They'll turn out... My staff. Yeah, they, they're wrong. They're wrong about a lot of things, but I let it go. Um, but I'm not an interior decorator, but um, um, I just think a church architecture, my whole point, church architecture should speak about the spiritual. And fortunately, like St. Pius was built just to be functional, to house people, not to give a theological idea. Think how brilliant it is to have a curved apse, how brilliant it is to make the church into the shape of a cross. Um, with a heart. And usually, like, in a Romanesque style, there's a dome, but the dome is over the altar. And the altar is where the heart of Christ will be. The head is where the tabernacle will be. I, I just love a Romanesque church. Okay, opinions. It's a pretty easy class. <laughs> to be honest... We are trying to get air conditioning, but you know what the problem is? Uh, no, I mean, there's a lot of things broken. No, but the quickest we're going to get air conditioning in is next year. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's not really, but we have to buy it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> no, 
It's not the money. I mean, I spend the money. It's, it'll take time to get it installed, and by that time, it'll be October. So, yes? Oh, so there's only one cathedral per diocese, and the cathedral is where the bishop is. So who is the pastor of the cathedral? The bishop. Um, now, he'll put somebody else in charge because he's not going to be there 100% of the time. But, and that person is called a rector. But there's only one cathedral per diocese. So, um, and a basilica is, um, it has to be uh, actually named a basilica, but a basilica is a big church. So, basilica style is that uh, rectangular. You can't have it round. But, like, ours is not a basilica. It's not that big. Does that make sense? So you can have several basilicas, but you can only have one cathedral. A parish. Yeah. Hold on one sec. He raised his hand, so he goes... Oh, uh, okay. By sanctuary, you don't mean the sanctuary. Uh, you mean like a uh, place of safety. Okay, that's a great question, but I'm going to have to give you a long, boring answer. Um, but I won't. Uh, that's a, cities are a big theme in the Bible. Um, cities are a concentration of human beings. And cities can either be um, for good or evil. Um, Sounds kind of strange. So, like, <clears throat> Jerusalem was going to be this city of compact unity where goodness was going to be on the earth. Heaven is called um, the New Jerusalem. Heaven in the book of Revelation is considered uh, a city. And in ancient times, for fortification, you would need to build a wall around your city. And a wall symbolizes protection and uh, guarding life. Well, so think about this. During the Romanesque styles with all these Vikings, and you would build up a wall to protect the church and the monastery. So uh, a wall symbolizes protection of life. So um, this takes me a while. To, so in the Old Testament, um, God does allow them to build cities, but then uh, I think it's 12 or 7 sanctuary cities where um, if your life is in danger, uh, the innocent can run for protection. So the idea is that, oh, in the Old Testament, um, a city was a sanctuary for those who needed their life protected, and the church should be a sanctuary. Now, granted, that happened because of those Vikings, um, but I do love the idea that the whole church should be a sanctuary of safety that guards life. So for me, getting back... Um, I love Gothic, but I love Romanesque more because I love a big, thick wall. So think about the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there is this huge mega wall around the, te uh, the, the heaven is this uh, sanctuary, the city, but it's also a temple. Heaven is a church, and it has this wall that's miles high and miles thick with jewels in it. Um, and so you think, what, 
What does that symbolize? The protection of life. No injustice could pass through it. So I like a church with big, thick walls because this idea of, oh, no, here life is protected. The church is a sanctuary. It's picking up that Old Testament theme of, no, our human community should be a place that protects and guards life. So heaven has a wall around it, but it also has gates. And the gates are kept always open. So the church is always welcoming, but the church is always supposed to protect life. Does that make sense? And architecture, it's playing that out in the Bible with these big, thick walls. Why I like Romanesque architecture is it seems safe, a big, thick wall. You know what I mean? So, Ed. Yeah, they did these whole things with, that's going to be more with the Gothic, to be honest. Because um, like uh, Romanesque with thick walls, I, this is before sound systems, that the sound bounces off the walls, right? And even on like Apple um, yeah, computers, you can create sounds that have uh, cathedral sounds to it. And what they really mean is Romanesque, where it has that echoey, stony feel to it. Um, so that was one way to increase the sound. So you'd have a pulpit that was raised up and usually some sort of back so that, like, uh, if you ever notice that, I'll get into that next time, but back so that the sound would project out. So now we have quonky, wonky microphone systems. No, it doesn't have to be. Um, they don't have to be east to west. Um, Holy Apostles was, which I have to really say I like. Um, I like, I just like like a morning sun on Sunday, the light flooding in from the back, but they made a terrible mistake at Holy Apostles, and that is they didn't put in a big like window in back, so the window... The light comes from the ground, but it should have been a window in back so that it like, was like this high beam focus right on the altar. Think about like New Grange. Do you remember the story of New Grange? Where, no, you guys don't. It was really only two weeks ago. Um, Neolithic, older than the pyramids. But on the winter solstice, the light would come from the back and just hit the altar where, the, um, where they celebrated... Uh, funerals. So like I, I love that New Grange where they made sure the light hit the altar. So in Romanesque, you usually have a big window in back so that it works as a spotlight to the altar. I think the altar and the tabernacle is the center point. So like I love how Romanesque architecture designed it that way, that your eye goes there, the light goes there. So... You don't want, Romanists are, are rarely have big windows behind the altar 
because then it obscures the tabernacle and altar. The big window would be in back. Okay, uh, well, um, like a basilica style, that was originally a courthouse style. So basilicas would have been civic courthouses. Does that make sense? So long, you know, at first we did not want our churches to look anything like a pagan temple. But then 400 years later, like basilicas are beautiful and they work out perfectly for a church. So we choose... They chose, I should say, basilicas for that reason. But also because uh, where the curved wall would be would be where the judge would sit, and our judge is Christ. So it kind of worked. No. Very good. So very good. I should have brought that out. Think, uh, think about it. You only have tiny windows tiny, tiny windows. So the Romanesque style is going to emphasize mosaics because you have big stone walls. But one, one thing you can't have is big windows because otherwise the whole thing would collapse. Now next week, I'm going to, architecture is, takes this change where this abbot invents a whole new style of building that allows huge stained glass windows. That's gothic. So, yeah, stained glass windows wouldn't have been a big thing here. So, Station of the Cross happened with St. Francis. So, um, Station of the Cross, uh, we know this from ancient, ancient documents that early Christians would go to Jerusalem during Lent and retrace the steps of Christ. We have this famous journal from this woman named Egerius. Um, who writes about her journey to Jerusalem. So you'd try and retrace the steps of Jerusalem, but then Jerusalem gets destroyed. Then it gets rebuilt, and then the Muslims take over. Um, And so when you get to St. Francis, the 13th century, um, St. Francis says, well, you know, the poor, they can't ever make it to Jerusalem, so we'll bring Jerusalem here. And St. Francis uh, just draws the Stations of the Cross and put them up. And then they become uh, popular. But think about this. Right? This sounds kind of strange. If you go to a church in the east, by east I mean the Greek side, they had, uh, they, St. Francis was in the west, Europe. So it's more of a western thing than... Um, and it's from the 13th century. So the majority of Christians would have no idea what you're talking about when you said Stations of the Cross. The 13th century, that's closer to our time. Does that make sense? So uh, I like Stations of the Cross, but they're an addition. So you wouldn't find any Stations of the Cross in a Romanesque church. Well, you would now, but not at that time period. So, Yeah.
Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, at the second coming. Um, but like, I think they're so beautiful. The thing about like any church demands upkeep, um, and so like I'd say, I don't think St. Pius was where well cared for, because when I first got here, there was a broken trust in the roof. Um, think about what that means, and I'm reading the report and. Um, it said it should hold unless unless there's a heavy snow. I don't know what that means. Like, and I hate to say this. I hate engineers. Just tell me yes or no. <laughs> um, so how to have that fixed? But to be honest, now this sounds kind of strange. Um, churches demand maintenance, and if you don't keep up the maintenance, it costs a lot more. So, like. This is my complaint about St. Pius, is that really nothing has been done since the 1970s. Like, somebody, meant, who mentioned pews? Okay, the pews are terrible. Like, I don't really kneel, but I've heard, uh, on kneelers, because I'm not in the pews. The kneelers are terrible. I hear it every single weekend. So, seriously, if you know somebody who upholsters and does um, repair on that, I don't know, since 1970, couldn't we have had those repaired? Um, so we're going to have to have all those restuffed and upholstered. Um, but, like, you should have done it a long time before this. Um, and trying to, like, that's going to be a major project because think how long it'd take to reupholster and repad each pew and kneeler. It's going to take months, you know. Oh, you do it? Great. We got a woman who can upholster. Thank you. <laughs> yes, because I think the 70s are, are through. And the pews, have you ever noticed, are in two different colors? Um, but, like, so, yeah, they're always scaffolding, but you should have taken care of it. Um, and everybody, like, it is kind of funny. People don't realize the cost of a building... Um, it's kind of naive because um, they'll say, oh, you have, like, we got, always got this at Holy Apostles. I stopped publishing the finances. Um, and the reason why is that because I'm grumpy. And I was a bookkeeper for my um, fraternity. And true story, um, I can't remember how much it was, but so we had some in savings, and at one of our meetings, they said, well, how much is in savings? And so I said, and they said, oh, great, let's have a caker. And I was like, no, we got bills, you know, bills keep coming in, and the furnace breaks, and um, so they all voted, and we had a caker. Um, and I thought, oh, that will be the last time. And they're kind of idiots. Um, so... I took 100000 most of what was in savings, and put it in a money market, and they never even noticed. So when they'd say the next year, what a, how about a kager? Oh, I don't know, we only have a couple hundred. And <laughs> but they never asked. Like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't steal the money. But I, so what I noticed, same thing in parish life. Once people realize, oh, there's $100,000, let's just do that. Well, like... Holy Apostles, if one air conditioning unit went out, that's $10,000.
So it looks like a lot of money unless something breaks. And buildings demand constant upkeep. If you don't, it's a lot more expensive later. Um, so same with these. I hope Romanesque churches stay till the day. I mean, think about that. Like, we have Santa Claus's body. <laughs> no, isn't that just amazing? You want to go see Santa Claus? Head off to Italy. Um, but we have these, all these churches, Romanesque styles, are really quite ancient. Why wouldn't we want to maintain them? They're stunningly beautiful. So, oh yeah, that woman back there had her. Oh, out of the sanctuary. I was going to cover that the last, what I was thinking about doing our last class was uh, just, it only take like 20 minutes. Go through and explain the symbolisms of why things are they are in a church. But think about this. Go back to the last class. What are the three things God told Moses you have to have? Yeah, altar cabinet. So why, if the, and the sanctuary symbolizes, like where the pews are, that's the nave. Um, the sanctuary symbolizes heaven. So you bow before going in and out of the sanctuary. That's, a, that's our journey to heaven. Heaven has those three things. Why, for the love of God, would you move it down the street? I, I just find that disobeying the Bible. So I don't know why they move tabernacles out. I, oh, I know why. Okay, it's a misreading. So the Vatican II documents say, say that um, the tabernacle has, is an altar of transcendence. And the altar that we celebrate the Eucharist is on altar of eminence. So the tabernacle can't be in competition with the altar. So it has to be in its own, um, I forget the wording, but basically kind of prayer space. So in the 70s, people interpreted that, oh, we want to get rid of tabernacles. That's not what it said. Like, like look at the Romanesque architecture where you have the curved wall, where you have that tabernacle and then the altar. They're not in competition, but they're lined up with each other. Does that make sense? Um, they're in two separate spaces. So it's a misreading in the Vatican II documents. So, oh, somebody over here had their hand up. Yeah. This church? Jesus? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I question, I don't want to throw any, but. I question, like, the flooring is terrible um, at, in our church. And you know the odd part? The one part of the church that's stable is a church part of our church that was built first. You'd think that would be the part that's falling apart, but it's the part that was built in the 70s that is our biggest problem. I don't think 70s were good for building. But you know, the 50s part of the church is rock solid. Explain that one. So, yeah. he grew up at St. Joseph Issaquah. Oh.
It, it, he said his church looked like a Quonset hut. What was the time period? Yeah, 70s were terrible for architecture. It, you know, like, like I love the Romanesque, and I could go more, like, all this Romanesque um, going back. Like, it's so beautiful. Um, I, I pick one, I guess. But, like, there's just something ethereal and beautiful, and you want to pray. There's this YouTube channel um, of this guy visiting different churches, uh, like denominations, and um, most, 90% of all Protestant churches are just functionary. They're just buildings and make sure you have a big screen TV. Um, he says, but then, he says, why is it when you walk into a Catholic church, you suddenly lower your voice? Like you just know you're in something sacred just because of the architecture, rather than really a big screen beer hall concert. Um, I think the 70, and I'm going to explain that, not next time, but the time when we get to, um, there is a psychological reason why that is not a, an accident either, but that's two classes into it. That, there is a reason, I just don't want to tell you right now because it's coming up. Yeah. Mission style. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, what's that? So, um, the, it, that's mission style. But what you have is uh, offshoots. So, when the mission style come for the heat, you'd need big, thick walls. It keeps the place cool. And think about those missions. They were all store fortresses. They had to be a sanctuary as well. Um, and so, like, they're kind of like, uh, think about this. The mission style is Romanesque but in a southwestern style. So it's still a kind of this cousin of Romanesque, thick walls. Um, usually they have small windows too because they had to be defensive. Yeah. And usually that's because of a, a roof issue. Like you can't make them too wide without problems. Right, I love the church in Sandpoint. And I love it because the same way you have a southwestern style, why couldn't we have a northwestern style? You know, like, like the thing I do like about our church, I didn't like it at first, is that big wooden wall with the rock. But if you think about this, what's the terrain of Coeur d'Alene like? Rocky and wood. So, like, I like a Romanesque style, but um, I also like um, the... Uh, Sandpoint Church because it has a northwest feel to it, but it's also kind of Romanesque in a way. High ceilings, because remember, a church should have this vertical feel, but also direction that you're you're moved towards the altar. They have pillars. I love that. Yeah, I like I like a crucifix. The other thing I like about Sandpoint is that their uh, columbarium is the walls of the church. Isn't that amazing? So you could say, oh, there's Pat Toomey. 
I just love that. I, I think that's a, such a clever design is to put our people the same way, remember, Neolithically, they put the um, dead in the floor of their chapels. This is Neolithic human beings. You know, this is going back, you know, way to B.C. I just think we want the dead with us. And the, our columbarium is nice, but if I had to redo a church, I love the this, this St. Joe's way of, oh, we'll put them in and outside the church. Mm-hmm. You need a separation space. Like, think about this. One of the most ancient churches, the one I showed you in um, Croatia, where they, they, early churches had courtyards so that people, you know, socialize and pray. Um, but to, you know, I don't know, it's me. Okay, yeah. I have no idea. I don't know anything about that. So, it, churches do cost. Buildings cost. But um, why is the Church of England um, churches upkeep? But also, that's probably political. Because remember, Henry VIII made himself pope, and so um, uh, it's kind of a weird thing. I don't really know it, but. Um, so he made himself pope. So the pope of the Episcopalian Church is King Charles. But the Bishop of Canterbury runs things. But the Bishop of Canterbury is chosen by the um, prime minister because they wanted to equalize power. And the prime minister is like Methodist. So now the Methodist picks out the head of... So that's a political web I, I don't really understand. Um, okay, so next time is Gothic. Gothic, I love Gothic, but uh, it's kind of the opposite of Romanesque. Is it, does this make sense, what I mean by Romanesque? Okay, I did want to show you one. Oh, dang it. Um, okay, I hate this. Um, can I show you one more thing, if I can get this started? Um, so... Come this thing's not. I, I swear to God, I think technology hates me. Um, did it die? Okay, so I'll just explain it. See if I can get it to to work. Um, I I'm kind of weird. I think symbols are important. So because I am a obnoxious person. Um, Problem is, I want to have, like, I want to change a logo to St. Pius, um, but I also want to change the logos, and this is a little controversial, to Holy Family Catholic School. Um, and the reason why is that a lot of people don't know that Holy Family Catholic School is our parish school. Does that make sense? Um, so, um, oh, I hate technology. Um, <laughs> 
No, it helps. No. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so I'll just tell you. So um, I'm changing the logo at Holy Family Catholic School as well. Now, granted, um, they voted not to change it because they said the original founders of the church would get upset. No, they won't. I, they, um, they won't get upset. Uh, they just picked a logo of the Holy Family. But my thought was to make it more obvious that the Holy Family Catholic School is a parish school, I wanted to change the logo. So I keep Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, um, but then have on the logo Saints uh, Thomas, George, Pius. Um, and so then I would, wanted to have each parish to have a color. I'm just forcing this. So St. Pius' color will be um, blue. And St. Um, I forget exactly. St. Thomas can be gold and St. George can be red. And so Mary, Jesus, and Joseph is in red, gold, and um, this computer is not getting the hint. It's a liar. Um, oh, I'm signaling it to it. Um, I'll just tell you. So I'm going to change it, the logo so that it has Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, but like Pius will be in blue, George will be in red. And, uh, does that make sense? Um, the other thing is, and I'll be selling shirts with this, I'm kind of forcing the school next year um, to every year have a, I'm just telling you, but now I can't show it off. Um, every year to have a theme. So this year is the year of grit. So I made shirts that said um, uh, Holy Family Catholic School and then big letters, the year of grit. And then, uh, um, then in the back it says grit and it gives a definition, you know, perseverance, uh, da, 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 um, tenacity, and then at the bottom it says, see Holy Family Catholic School. <laughs> and the reason why is that, um, talk to teachers, children are behind because of COVID, but also their self-discipline is behind. So this coming year is going to be the year of grit. Next year we'll make it the year of something else, whatever virtue we need. Because um, unlike a public school, we can say we will teach grit. So, um, so I came up with a symbol for it. This class is on church architecture and beauty. Um, why not use symbols to unify our, in every mass, they have to pray for grit. Um, so if you're wondering why does he mention this, because you'll see the new logo, and you'll also see um, we're going to sell T-shirts that have the year of grit. And every mass, I'll pray for greater grit. And then when I, I, I did this before. You can say to the kids, no complaining. You know, the rest of the world can fall behind, but be gritty. Oh, I haven't told them yet. No, I haven't told them, but like... Well, barely, I have two years. Uh, but my position is, I know I'm kind of rude, 
But, you know, St. Ignatius said you should go through life with one foot raised. Just be going for it. I don't know where I'm going. I just know I'm not standing still. Um, and I think the Catholics have to be more united in this valley. Um, so why not have logos? Why not have logos that all work together, that we're one church? Um, so, oh, they don't know yet. I haven't told them. The same way I shoved it down the school's throat, I am shoving it down their throat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just how you with your husband. I'll let you know. All right. I'll let you know when I want your opinion. So, all right. So, there you go. Uh, see you next week then. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.